0: The Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R, Radio Star, here for something that I can't believe I've never done. Um, (laughs) I don't know how this never happened, but I will remedy this situation. Maybe I planned on it, you know, being done as part of a series. So this will be part of a series. Uh, so to let you know how, how what's what's going on here, this is going to be a sovereign top eight and it's the sovereign top eight for comic book movies now in the past. And I still need to update these. There's so many things that needed to get released in 2017 that I just either I, I had to edit or there were some other things going on with it. OK, that I needed to do in 2017 or that I wasn't able to get to that. I want to make sure 2018, you know, is just like is just Pure market saturation of sovereign tech like that. That's that's just what this needs to be. So there's a lot of things that I need to make happen um, and need to get out there and get released and, and projects I need to projects I need to finish uh, that I will be you know working on. So one of them was is that I started a uh, comic books top eight where I was talking about not comic book movies necessarily. And I, maybe I've gotten asked this in like a QA, and a but I, I want to update this a little bit, even if I've already been uh, asked it or if I went over it. So we're going to be doing a comic book top eight here, a comic book movie top eight uh, in a minute. But before I do that, I want to let you know something kind of cool that I'm going to be releasing throughout January. And who knows, I might even expand beyond that uh, with various things. But a lot of people don't know this. I used to do... Um, or I think a lot of more modern listeners. I know not everybody like has listened to the entire nay six near six year catalog of Sovereign Tech. Um, and I used to do before there was Patreon, like literally before Patreon even existed, um, before there was a Patreon, before there was anything like that. Sometimes I would do these shows that now I kind of make for Patreon, but I would do shows like this. I would do Sovereign Top 8s. I do all this stuff. Uh, and I mean, this is way, way back, you know, starting in like 2013, uh, which, you know, my mind feels like way, way back. And, uh, I'm going to be re-releasing the sovereign top eights that I have done in the past over the past few years that were not part of Patreon that were just available for free and they'll still be available for free that, that, that won't change. Okay. But I think a lot, I think a lot of people would really get something out of those. Like if you, cause again, most people haven't listened back into the catalog, you know, to find this stuff, but it's very much like Patreon style content that I do now. So I thought it'd be fun to put that out there. Of course, it's not going to get in the way of any, you know, normal Patreon content that I put out. This is going to be bonus content, but it's also going to allow for new content in that some of these Some of the top eights that I'll be the classic top eights that I'll be releasing from years ago. And really, these are from like 2013, 2014, something like that, maybe 2015, a couple of them. Um, I'll be releasing those as or I'll I'll be updating those. I'll do new uh, sovereign top eights for each of those conversations. Well, not all of them, but, you know, for a few of them, like uh, I'll be releasing. The first one will be the sovereign top eight nonfiction books. Um, and I will, there's going to be a custom opening. I'm going to update and comment on everything that I said there. So, you know, don't, don't go listening to them now. You can (laughs) just, just wait a few days and they'll be coming out, you know, in the Patreon feed and there'll be new content in each one. Um, but I'll do like for the, say the nonfiction books, I will do a 2018 version of that because there's a, there's books that I would change when it comes to that. Uh, so, you're going to get a lot out of this. There's going to be, I mean, you know, some of them will just be fun to listen to the history. And believe me, it's pretty wild because some of it I still use all the really old. I mean, way before I was using Supervillain uh, as the theme song for the show, you're going to hear the really old theme songs uh, and the outro music, all that stuff. Uh, in fact, you're going to hear like for specials. When I used to do Sovereign Tech specials, the opening music it used to cut to. Um, uh, it would cut to like the, the theme for the NWO. You know, literally for the New World Order, you know, from WCW, (laughs) and this is years ago. Uh, And, well, anyway, you might find all of that fun. So that's all stuff that's coming, and part of that is to lead up to a lot of the conversations, that we will be having with the user podcast, uh, which is will finally be coming out. Uh, so this is this is fun stuff. You got a lot of stuff coming out for you. Um, I'm going to make sure. I mean, there's just so much content that people, you know, and you take your pick. You know, I think some people they see, oh, sovereign top eight comic book movies. Well, I'm not really interested in that. I'm here for the tech. Well, you'll get your chance to, to hear uh, some of the tech. In fact, listening back to some of these classic top eights from years ago, there were top eights that I had in mind that for whatever reason, I never got around to like I never did them. Uh, like there was this, the sovereign top eight uh, that, which are computer books, you know, like the top eight computer books in history or that are that still have relevance. I think that'd be a great one to do. So, you know, if you're in if you're here for the tech, you can certainly get your hands on that, too. But I think a lot of people, they really enjoy either more so than just the tech. They enjoy the either the philosophy or they enjoy the, the geekiness. And, of course, many of you enjoy all of that. But, uh, you know, all of that together. But so, you know, that's the thing. With Patreon, I know I have a lot of different types of listeners. So I make varied content. You don't have to consume it all. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so that's, that's stuff that's coming up um, in, in really the next few days uh, that will be getting released. And, and it's kind of easy. Be, well, I mean, yeah, it's admittedly, it's easy for me because... I get to record an intro for each one of those, and then I just put out the podcast. And hey, great. So, all right. So, you're going to be getting Sovereign re- Rewinds. That's what we're going to call them Sovereign, re- <laughs> sovereign Rewinds. You'll be getting those. And, again, they're a lot of fun. I mean, especially, well, you'll hear in the intros. I'll tell you all about each one as I, as I do them. Uh, you're going to get those. we got user podcasts coming up. January alone is going to be phenomenal. And there will be more from Sovereign Tech First University. So you are getting loaded up. And, look, you don't have to listen to them on the day that they release. I mean, just have the backlog because there's going to be times where, or I imagine there will be weeks where I only release, like, one episode. I mean, because the one thing that I guarantee on Patreon is the, the, the weekly Q&A. So you're going to get, you know, those you're always going to get every Wednesday or sometimes it has to come out on Thursday, but you'll definitely get one of those a week. Um, but everything else is is kind of gravy. And there's some days when, you know, the gravy boat uh, is a little low. Well, not really. It doesn't have to be. I, I wish I could do. I really you don't understand. I wish I could do this every day. I could. I have, I have something to talk about every fucking day, certainly for an hour or a half hour or something. I mean, I could easily talk for that about just about anything uh, without really rehashing. Uh, I wish you know I'd love to do that, and we're not at that point yet. You know, I'm not at that point yet personally. Uh, you know, as, as far as ha- being able to afford that kind of time, um, but I'm honored. So many people ask me to do it, and I'm really honored that uh, that they do. So, anyway, all that said, wow, long intro for <laughs> for this whole shtick uh, that we're gonna do today. But this is it: the sovereign top eight comic book movies, the greatest, the the top eight in my opinion, the top eight comic book movies out there now. Here's the rub with comic book movies is that while certainly you know in recent years it seems like wow there's like 3 4 comic book movies a year you got to understand since like 2008 or so from two, in the past 10 years the amount there have been more comic book movies made I think in the past 10 years than there have been made than there were made in the entirety of the film industry before then you know before 2008 there, there's just so many now. Um, and admittedly, I'm sick of comic book movies. Like, I, I really, you know, Wonder Woman notwithstanding, um, and I'm kind of excited about Black Panther. You know, I could do without these things <laughs> like, because they have such a such a shitty ass formula uh, that goes for them. And, and there's really never there's really usually not a whole lot um, on the line. You know, when it comes to these films like Winter Soldier, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier. That was pretty good. Um, And, you know, something a little bit different. But so few of these things are 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 sadly not very different. You know, Doctor Strange still followed the Marvel formula. It just had a very interesting style to it. And that that kind of made it a cut above. So, I mean, you can still make good comic book movies. I'm not saying you can't. It's just I'm, I'm really already ready for the break. Like I'm ready for this to stop for a while. Um, and then come back to it, you know, because Justice League this year was rough. Thor Ragnarok, I wasn't the biggest fan of, um, you know, kind of go down the list on these things. And and I just I'm, I find them to be generally boring, which is sad because, you know, a lot of what's going to comprise this list are really the movies, the comic book movies that changed the game, kind of the precursors to what we have now that made it OK to even begin making what we have now. Um, and what's sad about it is that growing up. You know, in the 80s and 90s, which, by the way, I'm not complaining because, uh, you know, I consider it a great honor and I feel very fortunate to have grown up in the 80s and 90s because I think you have a very unique and important understanding of the world, not just me, anybody born in that time frame that has their wits about them, um, you know, I, I, and, you know, certainly late 70s, too. You know, I think you uh, I think you've got a very unique outlook on the world that is disappearing. And it needs to be, you know, <laughs> we're the people that need to speak up about shit. So, well, we don't need to. Needing would be a spook, but whatever. The point I was getting to is that in the 80s and 90s, we didn't really have a whole ton of comic book movies. I mean, yes, there were, you know, we had TV movies, like there were, the Cap, there were the two, most people don't even know this, that there were Captain America TV movies back in the day. There was a, what was it, 93 or 91 or 93, there was the Captain America movie where he took on Red Skull. Uh, I, I mean, comic book movies have been around. I'm not saying they didn't exist, but they sure as fuck weren't taken as seriously. They weren't the um, uh, the major events. That they are now. I mean, there's just nothing like it is today. You know, there, there was really um, a, a dearth of, of comic book movies at the time, at least ones that, again, that had like the high budget that were taken seriously and all that. I mean, it just it, it wasn't a thing. So that said, I mean, there's not there's as far as like what are genuinely good movies. There's really not a whole lot of wiggle room. You know, it, like my list probably compares pretty well to just about anybody else's list. Other than I most modern Marvel films, I would not put in in like I wouldn't put it in a top. Well, I mean, you couldn't help it, I guess, because, again, there's so few. There really are so few comic book movies compared to the amount of science fiction movies, uh, uh, sword and sandal movies, romance movies, you know, whatever. Go Pick your genre. Comic book movies, I mean, are, is still kind of nascent. Right. So my list may not shock, but you know, whatever, you're going to get my takes on these things. Um, and well, hopefully you find it interesting. And as often happens with these, uh, top, top eight lists or top lists that I put out there, uh, they're not in any particular order until we get to the top three, the top three are definitely in order. Um, So, and again, this is comic book movies. Maybe I'll do like comic book TV shows, which is also used to be a very rare genre. Maybe not even so much, not so rare as say, you know, comic book movies, but it was a, it was a rare genre. Uh, and obviously my number one comic book TV show. I mean, even if I were to make it, you already know what I'm going to say. It's going to be the '66 Batman. I mean, it that that fucking show is everything, was everything, will always be everything. You know, it, it just just tremendous. So anyway, um, let's get into our sovereign top eight here, and we'll start breaking it down. Oh, but keep in mind too, none of these are animated films. That would be a whole other. That's a whole other top eight, like the top eight animated comic book films, which generally, f- for the most part, the animated. Um, the animated comic book films are far better than any live action counterpart, save maybe one that I could think of where. Uh, well, anyway, I won't spoil that. So maybe we'll make that a top eight, too, if people are interested. And you can message me on Patreon if you want to do that. So for the number eight slot again, up until we get to the first three or, or the top three, it doesn't really matter. But let's get this one right out of the way. Um, Iron Man, the 2008 Iron Man film. This is the movie. This is the reason. You know, I mean, there's other movies that will come before and certainly we're going to talk about them that made comic book movies viable that even allowed for a movie like Iron Man to get made. But Iron Man's impact. Iron Man is the reason that we have the modern comic book film. That we have now, like that we have the, you know, the incarnation, the the Marvel movies that we have now and all that. Um, And, you know, each of which come with varying degrees of how well they're executed, in my opinion. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie could have made the top eight. I have to give it that. Like that is that is such a unique, almost like like side universe to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, That is a lot of fun Uh, that that could have hit it because, I mean, that that is a special piece of film right there. But anyway, Iron Man. This is a movie and you, people have heard me say this, tell this story before. But, you know, I know there's new people listening. So um, with Iron Man, you know, I said because I've been you, you've got you got to grasp this. OK, in fact, uh, Collider, one of the reason, one of the things that inspired me to do this is that Collider is doing a top 50 comic book movies of all time. Uh, they, they've got to be covering with 50 movies. They've got to be covering like every fucking movie, every comic book movie ever made, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, their list has been very interesting, uh, to say the least. In fact, I don't think Iron Man's been on the list yet, or ma- maybe it was anyway, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't be shocked if it was number one on their list. Uh, I already know what should be number one is not number one on their list, but it'll be number one on mine. So anyway, uh, Collider's doing it and they even admitted in their little videos that they're doing about the top, you know, every time, every day, like they, they review an- another movie and they put it in its ranking. Um, they made it very clear, which is good to hear because I think most people just don't know. A lot of people are comic book fans now that have never been comic book fans like ever. And now they just suddenly, Oh, these movies are so great and they're so into it. And they're maybe they're doing it with their kids or something. And now suddenly they give a shit about comic books or maybe they're comic book fans when they were kids and you know, they skipped it for 20 years and now they're back, which Hey, fine. I'm not insulting anybody for that. But a lot of people do, you do not realize this. And I've said this for years on sovereign tech. You don't realize this. Iron Man was a second tier character. You were lucky if he was second tier. Nobody really You just did not know much about Iron Man. I mean, he kind of had the second in command position because he created the Avengers mansion, you know, with the Avengers under Captain America. But he was really like, I mean, there was times where there were there was not an Iron Man comic. Do you understand? I mean, this is a character. This was a second tier character. Nobody gave a shit about this character. I gave a shit about this character for a long time. He was like my favorite Marvel character. Uh, I mean, again, we're talking, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before Iron Man, the movie was even, you know, a gleam in anybody's eye. Okay. I had my Iron Man tie of all things. I at least was able to find one of those, like in one of those little center things in a, in the mall, you know, one of those little Island uh, shops in the mall. Uh, You know, I mean, I had that. I mean, I loved the character of Iron Man and what I knew and I I remember telling my friends this in high school, I said, the comic book movie that needs to get made. And this was after X-Men came out. That's why we we're talking about it. I said, the comic book movie that needs to get made is Iron Man. I said, because this guy has all the personal tragedy in his life. He has all the problems. He has all the cool stuff. He can appeal to the Batman types and all that, which Batman has always done well, either on TV, uh, animated wise or, um, or in film, you know, it always done exceptionally well, uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, people may think a certain movie's a dud, but in general, he's, you know, the character of Batman has done very well. And Iron Man is in many ways Marvel's answer to Batman in many ways there. I mean, they're different characters in some some respects, but it's really the answer to that, uh, which is why I found him appealing, because, you know, I've always been such a big fan of Batman. And I, and I said, I was like, look, I said, it'll be the biggest movie of all time. I said, if they ever make an Iron Man movie, people are going to shit their pants. They're, they, they're going to they won't believe what they just saw. And that's exactly what happened in 2008. I called it like, and I've done this before. Like I, I said in 1998, I said, you know, who'd make a great starship captain? Scott Bakula. What happens years later on Enterprise? Who's captain of the Enterprise? Scott Bakula. Fucking right. So <laughs> I can call this shit all day long. But so Iron Man... Um, In 2008, when that came out, I mean, it did exactly what I said it would. It had all the drama. It had the flawed character. It had what everybody was looking for, had a tremendous story. Like, I mean, you know, it still had the problem of kind of a weaker villain, uh, which is one of the major problems with comic book movies. And I think it's a problem where particularly with Marvel movies. And I think it's a problem that is spread into really sadly, you know, because it's all Disney owned uh, that is spread into Star Wars, where the villains are being treated as weak sauce which is a shame because Star Wars is actually great about delivering uh, very impressive villains. And sorry, Kylo Ren. Yeah, I get it. But eh, you got to give me more. So anyway, uh, so Iron Man certainly uh, has that. okay, so now actually I know Iron Man is not Collider's number one. Um, So it has that flaw of the villain isn't exactly the best thing in the world. Um, That is a problem across comic book movies. Why does this end up being such a thing? Uh, I mean, it's not all comic book movies. Like, you look at Batman Begins, you know, Liam Neeson is tremendous, uh, you know, as uh, well, not Alucard, but Rachel Gould. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes you can have a really great villain, but a lot of times it just doesn't, it really doesn't come together that way. Uh, and often what I think could make the difference with a lot of these movies is if they had a really great villain. Um, you know, it could put them over the top, but it never happens. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. I mean, I could make some guesses is, and I, I've hinted at them in the past, just that maybe, you know, Disney's so afraid of kids seeing what villains like having well-developed villains, suddenly they're going to realize that everybody in charge of the planet, you know, be it pizza, the hut in, in Washington or whoever is, um, you know, wow, they're villains. You know, like all of our politicians are villains. They, they act just like these these megalomaniacs, you know, and all that. So I don't know. But I mean, that that's that's pure speculation on my part. But regardless. So Iron Man, the 2008 Iron Man. I mean, this this has to be on any top 10 list as far as comic book movies go. Again, it is the reason we have the modern comic book kind of, you know, franchises going on, uh, film franchises going on right now. I mean, it was just, it was that big of a deal, but it was that well done. I mean, John Favreau, you know, totally delivered. Um, and (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. This guy was anathema at the time. Like it was really anathema. Obviously he fits very well into the Tony Stark character because in a lot of ways he's kind of Tony Stark. He's had a similar, you know, he can express those emotions, and those traumas that Tony Stark has had because he's gone through, to some degree, he's gone through some of them. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was fantastic in this as Pepper Potts, which I would have picked somebody else, but she was great. You know, like, I, I still think she she was phenomenal. Pepper Potts is a very important character, especially in the comic books. Like, when they did the rehash, again, also long before there was an Iron Man movie. Uh, I think they called it the Iron Age or something like that. There was this two-issue... Uh, like not a mini series. I'm not sure exactly what you'd call it, but like there was this two issue kind of trade paperback series that re explored the origins of Tony Stark of Iron Man. And in that pepper pots, like that character really shines. Uh, It was a very, very cool little two issue. I mean, they weren't little comics, but a a very, very cool uh, two ish, two volume uh, series, I guess I should say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, an Iron Man got to take advantage of all of those different kind of rehashes and new origin stories that Iron Man had been going through, including with the ultimate universe and everything. I mean, it was, you know, it was really impressive. Uh, so, yeah, Iron Man, you know, I mean, that's that's really all you need to say about it. Yeah, the story was great. I mean, the music was actually pretty cool, too, by uh, was it Ramin Dijwadi? Uh Like there was, you know, nice little Easter eggs in the Iron Man film that kind of like hinted at a, at a greater universe, which is always gets people way more enticed and way more excited and get them talking about a film because they get to speculate about, oh, what's going to happen in the next film? Or, you know, oh, wow, that was there. I wonder where Captain America is, you know, like, oh, there's his shield. What's the deal here? And I mean, like there's and it really did a good job with that, with a lot of the Easter eggs and everything. Um, It just it made it work. Iron Man is, again, the reason you have all the comic book movies that you're going to see over the past decade now. It, It is the one. Uh, and, you know, kudos. I mean, and not like Marvel wasn't making movies before then. I mean, you had that Hulk movie. Uh, there, there were quite a few different ones, you know, and certainly Spider-Man was on a bit of a tear. Uh, but this this solidified things. This this really, you know, changed it. And, of course, now with Disney owning 20th Century Fox, I mean, this is all going to change. I mean, now, now you know, there's going to be a huge Marvel universe. And I think, you know, part of me, just to comment on that, I think Disney knew they needed to do this to have the Marvel cinematic universe continue at the pace that it's going. If they want it to continue at the pace that it's going, I don't mind if they take a break, but they won't. They need the X-Men, right? They need, you know, these, they need spider or, well, they're, they got Spider-Man, but I mean, you know, they, they need, um, you know, they need all these characters. That's why they made the deal with Sony, right? They need all of these characters. They have to have that huge Marvel universe, to allow for events like Infinity War and others to, you know, to totally come to fruition. Um, So, yeah, pretty exciting times as far as comic book movies go. If only, if fucking only, shit would actually, like, happen and go bad and people would actually die and there would actually be real tragic circumstances that would occur in these movies to where I could care about them, you know. I, I mean, if I just want a good time with, you know, my favorite comic book characters, I'll just read the goddamn comic books. You know, I want the movies to be something special to show me something that I'm not used to really seeing so much or, you know, because they don't exactly pay fidelity to the comic books. Not really. Uh, So you got to give me something and they just don't. But Iron Man, when that came out, I was so happy. I was so pleased. Uh, Iron Man two and three. I love both of those movies as well. Um, I think they're phenomenal. So, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Uh, You know, the importance of this movie just cannot be understated. So, uh, so there we go. There's number eight, uh, Iron Man 2008. And wow, we're already, we're almost like in in 30 minutes and we are early on the eighth one. So let's get on to the next movie. Uh, the next movie is, this is one that was pre Iron Man and really stands very much stands alone. Uh, as far as it's, you know, where it's, it's not part of any grand universe, uh, because it's based upon uh, a character created by Dave Stevens who was, uh, you know, like this character was very popular in the 80s and even before and still comic books are made of this character Uh, and most people I don't even think they realize that it's a comic book movie but it absolutely is and that is 1991's The Rocketeer uh, of course, with, you know, starring Bill Campbell, uh, Joe Johnston did the directing, did a phenomenal job of the directing. Jennifer Connolly's in it. This is really the first. It's not, I mean, Jennifer Connolly was in the labyrinth, but this is the time, this is the first time we really, you know, audiences got introduced to an adult Jennifer Connolly. And there's, there's even things to say about that. Uh, but Timothy Dalton's in it, of course. Um, this is at a point when he was pretty much James Bond, you know, uh, living daylights and uh, uh what was the license to kill? Uh, yeah, I mean, great cast, just tremendous cast. Bill Campbell delivers, you know, has that boyish good look, uh, that, that happens. Um, the Rocketeer, so, so much going for it. James Horner's score for the, for the movie, particularly the soundtrack for this movie. In fact, uh, just recently there was a, a reissue of the, the two disc version of it, um, that Entrada put out and boy, I was, I was all fucking over that. Like, I I picked it up the instant that they announced it. I was like, yeah, I'll I'll take that. That's fine. Thank you. (laughs) Because it is a stunning, stunning. I mean, the music in it, you'll hum the music forever. It's so beautifully uh, uh, heroic and it's heroic in such a, I don't know, simple, bombastic way. Man, I mean, it just, you know, innocent way almost. Uh, and the movie takes place largely, you know, it has to deal with, obviously, he's taking on the Nazis, you know, so so it, it holds up pretty well today because we're still dealing with that. Uh, but it takes place in 1938, and you have the character of Cliff Secord, who is, you know, played by Bill Campbell. And he's this pilot, kind of down-on-his-luck pilot, and he ends up finding this secret weapon um, that is a rocket jetpack. And at the time, you have to understand that in the 1990s, the 80s and 90s, The idea of jetpacks, I mean, it's been a big deal since the 60s, ever since, you know, Sean Connery, you know, strapped one on um, as James Bond. But, you know, like the idea of jetpacks was still like a dream, like people still really wanted that, just like as much as they wanted flying cars. Today, I don't think people even really think that much about flying cars. But in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, the future seemed like anything was possible, like we were going to have wrist mounted televisions in 1993. Uh, That didn't exactly happen. But, you know, like the. The idea that we would finally achieve a lot of these technological advancements like that was, you know, people are really on the pulse with that. They're really thinking about that and, and feeling that and wanting that. And so, you know, the idea of a character where his whole superpower is the fact that he just has a jetpack. That was absolutely enough in the 1990s. Um, and what's amazing about this film is that because even though it was made in the 90s. So the effects sometimes. Yeah. OK. The effects aren't exactly up to today's snuff. But what is Uh, that even since the film took place in the thirties, you can watch it today and it still holds up because like, there's nothing in it that makes it a nineties film other than maybe some of the effects. But so what, you know, it it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the effects matter so much because you know, the job of the, of the entire production team on a movie is to make you not care whether or not it looks real or whether or not something is unbelievable or something like that. You need to, they need to suspend your disbelief, you know, just enough Uh, To to where all of that's okay, So that doesn't require necessarily, you know, the best effects in in cinematic history. Uh, Not that it wasn't a a cheap film or that it wasn't uh, impressive effects for day for its day. It was certainly both. Or I mean, you know, it it certainly bucked both of those. Uh, But yeah, the Rocketeer, you know, this was kind of reinvigorating in playing off of, I think, Superman, the, the 78 Superman films you know, tagline of, you will believe a man can fly. And I think this is an updated attempt at that. I think that movie studios were starting to take in the nineties, they were starting to think well ahead. And I think that they were thinking, okay, we we've got to start getting into the comic books. You know, this is what we need to start mining. We're already making all the classic uh, novels into movies. Let's start mining comic books for story ideas. And I think that in many ways, the Rocketeer was meant made by Disney of all things. Okay. Uh, but I think it was very much meant to be kind of a test bed for how legit can we make um, a lot of these, a lot of the fantastic, a lot of things that would be required for superheroes, how how legit can we make it look? Granted, they didn't own Marvel at the time, but they were still, you know, shooting for it. Um, so I I think this is a very bold movie. Um, I think that everything about it, like there's... You know, other than the effects not looking as great as today's effects, it is a perfect film. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The story is solid. Uh, The villain, I think, is fairly well developed, so it doesn't fall prey to that comic book problem or comic book movie problem. Uh, Timothy Dalton just I mean, he's Timothy Dalton. The guy's fucking amazing. You know, he 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 just he steals the camera every time the guy's on. Uh, Jennifer Connelly was stunning, brilliant and absolutely stunning. In fact, one day. If if any Sovereign Tech listener knows the answers around this, okay, one day I want to find out, I want to figure out what the fuck happened, okay, to Jennifer Connelly and Cameron Diaz, two people who are in two movie, two two ballsy comic book movies, that being The Rocketeer for Jennifer Connelly and The Mask for Cameron Diaz. These women were absolutely voluptuous. I mean, and look, there's nothing wrong. If people, you know, want want to have a thinner look or something like that, all all that's fine. I'm not I'm not judging necessarily in that sense. I'm just saying, what the hell happened? Like, like, in fact, uh, you know, speaking of the collider thing. Um, Collider, you know, the Rocketeer was really stupidly like low on their list. I was, I I was really annoyed that it was, or, you know, high as a numerical count, like it was like number 29 or something like that. I don't know. Some, I would not put it, it, it deserves to be way lower. Um, but you know, they were commenting on it and the women at Collider were even saying, wow, Jennifer Connelly was hot. And right, that's my point. Is like, what the hell happened? Like, she in that movie, she—I mean, she has look. I'll just say it. She has huge breasts. Um, you know, she has uh, very you know, she has for for a conventional term, she has meat on the bones, the whole thing. Like, she's a voluptuous woman. She looks phenomenal, and her eyes—those those ice blue eyes. You know, kind of like um, uh, oh wow, that's uh, oh, Stacy Stacy Haddock, like what she had, you know, in in the first season of Sequest and Adventures of Superboy man, I mean, just hypnotic, you know, oh, she was so sexy, and I'm not saying she's not now, I'm just saying that, like, what happened inside of 10 years, like, she turned into, please, I'm just using a conventional term, I mean, she just got very, I'll just say it that way, she just got very thin, she got, like, really, really thin, almost to the point of, like, whoa, you know, And that's okay. I'm not knocking anybody that looks like that. I'm not not because, you know, I I love women in all shapes and sizes. You know, it's just kind of weird. And Cameron Diaz, same thing. Cameron Diaz in the mask. I mean, like very voluptuous, look like she came right out of a comic book, you know, and then the next thing you see her in she that all of that is gone. And that's weird. I don't know if it's drugs or if they just had a certain look that they were going for. I mean, whatever the answer is, it's fine. It's just kind of weird. And, and I, I don't know. Hollywood is such a fucked up place that I, my concern is not that they look, I, like I said, I'm not saying they're ugly, quite the opposite. Uh, you know, now I'm saying that Hollywood is such a fucked up place that I'm just worried something happened. I'm worried that there was, or that like they got pressured into doing, I don't know what uh, it's, it's such a strange thing, you know? Uh, but anyway, that that's getting into a whole other conversation. Um, the Rocketeer, incredible. Uh, absolutely, absolutely incredible film. Um, you know, totally watchable to this day. You can get like the 25th anniversary Blu-ray or something and it. And it's very enjoyable. Um, there's nothing untoward in it. I mean, you, you know, it's just a fun film. A lot of adventure taken on Nazis. And it's really cool. The, I mean, just the simple concept of giving a guy a jetpack and him becoming a hero. You don't, you don't, you know, it's so nice to just have a simple idea like that, simple story like that, you know, where just your average, this average person just says, you know what, fuck it. I have a superpower now or a super weapon or, you know, a, whatever you have this amazing device, a high tech device. I'm going to do some good in the world. Like, I mean, that that's, that. I don't know. that That's really cool. That that's, that's missing today, I think in, in, in certain ways. So, uh, yeah, rocker racketeer at number seven, um, you know, it it could easily have been, could have been in the top three, uh, might've been in the top three if it wasn't for, you know, a movie that came out this year, but we'll, we'll save, uh, we'll save that. So uh, yeah, Rocketeer from 1991. That's at number seven. Let's go to number six. And at number six, here's a movie that its importance is severely downplayed. And I think it's sadly forgotten when it does not need to be blade Uh, blade is you know, this, this movie came out in 1998, 1998 was such a tremendous year for films. Uh, it, it was definitely the 1982 and 87 of the nineties, you know, uh, 98, just so much. I mean, you could go to the movies almost every weekend, it seemed like, and you'd be seeing something fucking incredible, you know, and blade was one of those films. Uh, people forget about this. You know Stephen Norrington directed it, uh, and uh, D- David Goyer, David S. Goyer, who's you know gone on to a tremendous career, uh, you know he he actually did the. I mean it's loosely based on the comic book or the character from Marvel Comics, but it's there. And man, I mean Stephen Dorff, uh, Chris Christopherson's in it. Man, I love when, whenever Chris Christopherson's on camera, I, I just I go nuts. That that guy is I don't know how he's that slick, <laughs> but. I mean, He just oozes badass like I'd never do anything to that guy. And I mean, I'm not like necessarily the biggest fan of his music, but I can appreciate it. I just think it's tremendous. And of course, Wesley Snipes was this was definitely this was him really coming kind of coming off of top of his game. But, you know, still top of his game. You know, we're still talking, you know, Passenger 57, Money Train white men can't jump, you know, things like that. I mean, still coming off of a lot of those films. Uh, Blade was, I mean, and he really embraced this character because I think only he could really do it. I mean, they even made a TV show later on TNT that only went one season of Blade. And not that the guy in that was bad, but he wasn't Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes just made this. I mean, like he was he's he was just such a great actor. And I'm not saying he couldn't be now. But Wesley Snipes was such a great actor. I mean, Demolition Man, you know, think of it all. He was such a great actor. Like, I don't know how he did it, because some of the lines from the movie Blade, which, of course, is all about this, you know, the Daywalker, right? The guy who's half vampire, half human. And, you know, he's trying to save humanity and everything. Him and him and his buddy Whistler, Chris Christopherson, of course. Some of the lines in that movie are really cool, but they are really cheesy. Like they are really cheesy, but the way he says them, yeah, I mean they're so quotable. But the way he says them, like you just believed it. Like you're like, yeah, no, yeah, yep, yep. If he says it, I'm on board. Like you know where he, where he's talking to the uh you know kind of the love interest in the movie, the the uh, the woman doctor. When he says like the world you're living in is just a sugar coated topping, you know. I mean like when he's saying all that stuff, like I mean those are really cheesy lines. But man, you you totally bought it. You're like, yeah, no, yeah, him, yep, he. Wesley Snipes can say that. Blade can say that and and it's real and it, and it's legit. Uh and this movie had so much going for it. Like there was the, the uh, kind of the appeal to history in it, like that, you know, vampires have been around forever and they like they have all these ancient writings and prophecies. I mean, it, it it really was bringing in the sexy and cool factor. I mean, even Tracy Lords was in the beginning of it. Talk about sexy. Uh It really brought all that kept all that alive in the vampire genre that unfortunately movies like Twilight would just wreck, would just ruin. I mean, Twilight has in a very real sense killed the entire Twilight in the Vampire Diaries has really killed the entire vampire genre, uh, which is a shame because it's probably the greatest it's close to my favorite genre of film out there. I mean, you know, I could watch Hammer films all day long. Um, the Blade, the entire—I mean, look, this movie did so well, and it was such an underground hit because it, it was this was a cheap movie to make. This was not a big budget film. They did not expect it to, uh, uh, you know, to do what it did. But this movie, you know, bought into, you know, allowed for two two sequels, Blade Two and Blade Trinity, um, and then of course there was the TV show. But the reason I think that this movie worked. It was totally down to one thing. It wasn't the special effects, which some of those were interesting for their day. Okay, like what would what would happen with with uh, Stephen Dorff's character? It wasn't so much the special effects. Yeah, the sword was cool. Um, You know, his car was cool. You know, a lot of the a lot of the, um, uh, you know, gadgetry that he had and all that was really cool. What really made this work was cool, was the cool factor. I always say this. You cannot you you absolutely cannot underplay levels of cool in anything that you create. Cool is so important. And yet it's such a it's it seems so intangible at times. But Blade had it. It had all the coolness in the world that you could possibly want from the quotes from, you know, even. And now, again, it seems cheesy now, but you were told as soon as it happened, because like you'd see it in the trailers and everything, and everybody kind of remembers the scene when, you know, when, when Blade at the end is taking on the big bad guy, he catches his son, like his sunglasses are flying through and he catches them and put puts them on. And then the music, you know, kind of picks up and it just turns into total badassery, right? You bought it. You're like, oh yeah, oh this guy's going to get fucked up now. You know, as soon as he puts his sunglasses on, it was so cool. And that's that's the thing, like that cool factor. You can't put a price tag on that because that'll take the smallest little film that you don't see coming and it will put it way over the top until it turns into an entire franchise. And that's exactly what happened with Blade and Blade. Also, you know, understand, I mean, a lot of people went to go see this because they knew at the very least it was a comic book movie. And like I said, we didn't have a lot of comic book movies at that point. And so everybody's like, oh, well, fuck. Yeah. OK. Oh, this is a Marvel character. Let's go. This is going to be great. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Captain America in it or something. Of course, you don't see anything like that. And it really you know, went on to exist in its own universe. But that was part of the excitement around this film. Um, but this is another one where I don't think it gets. This doesn't get enough credit for how legitimate it made comic book movies because people accepted this and it did real money. You know, and, and and like and it was it was part of similar to what and obviously this movie is going to be on the list. So cat out of the bag, similar to what the X-Men movie would do. The first X-Men movie where it would make comic book characters, these wild characters in wild situations seem believable. Blade did the same thing. Might have even done it better in a way. Uh, but yeah, Blade, everybody forgets about this. That trilogy is so enjoyable. Blade 2. Funny thing about Blade 2. So Blade 2 would come out a couple years later. Blade 2 was the first movie that I watched where I said, you know what? That was too much action. (laughs) And I can't believe I'd ever say that about a movie. But really, I thought Blade 2, too much action. Like it, like it was just, it was nonstop. The movie, like there was barely, the story was kind of interesting, but there's barely any story to it. It was just action, action, action. And it was cool. Like they, they played up that cool factor all the way, which still makes it enjoyable. Again, like I said, the cool factor, which is, you know, the lightning in the bottle that me personally, I keep trying to, you know, with everything that I make that I try to capture, uh, you know, it's there and that's what makes it serviceable. And that's what, you know, allowed it to do money and allow for blade Trinity, But, yeah, that's a weird film because, like, it it just doesn't – there's points. It needs to stop. It needs to let you breathe, and it never did. Uh, Blade Trinity, interesting point. This really put Ryan Reynolds on the map. Look, folks, without Blade Trinity, you would have never had Deadpool. Deal with it. Deadpool is not on this list, by the way. I'll I'll let you know that right now. Um, I thought the movie was fine, you know, very funny, but not making the top eight. No way. Uh, I imagine it's probably, you know, I mentioned Collider. They're doing their their top 50. They still have like a, like five to go, I think, or four to go. Deadpool's probably going to be on there. And look, Deadpool deserves credit for being the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. I mean, you know, that, that's history making. But yeah, no. But anyway, but Ryan Reynolds, you know, he's in Blade Trinity uh, and he he's I think he's great in it. Uh, It's a shame that they didn't make more films they really could have. Triple H was in it. Triple H, you know, Degeneration X wrestling. Um, And I thought he was pretty cool in it. I I like Blade Trinity. But uh, but yeah, that first Blade movie easily one of the greatest, uh, you know, one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. And one of the most important ones that people keep forgetting about. But that sent a lot of market signals to studios saying, ooh week, we should be making more comic book films. So there we go. Uh, you know, got it, got to hand it over to, <laughs> to 1998's blade, uh, you know, and Wesley Snipes way to go, baby. I mean, you just, you delivered. Um, okay. So let's go on to, uh, let's see, w- would this be number five? Number five is, and this is where maybe we get more into ranking. Number five for me is the 1989 Batman film. Uh, Of course, Tim Burton, you know, I mean, just just knocked it out of the park. Michael Keaton. Awesome. Uh, This this film, the importance of this film. This is a film. It's important for cinematic history. It's important for comic book movies in general. Um, I wouldn't necessarily argue against that, but it's important to another genre or really another venue. Um, The 89 Batman film was very dark. Understand this Batman before that. Was not Batman was not very dark. Batman was sometimes campy. I mean, there were some dark storylines that would happen, but it wasn't what you got on the screen with Tim Burton's little masterpiece here. Okay, uh, the eighty nine Batman changed Batman, like <laughs> the comic book character. It changed the comic books that you know that Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns, all that stuff. You know, people want to talk about that which would come out like three years previous. And certainly I think gave Tim Burton some license to go in a darker direction. Uh, But like Frank Miller's work, like most kids that liked Batman weren't buying into what Frank Miller was selling in 86 with dark Knight returns. Right. But when the 89 Batman came out, Oh yeah. uh, Now kids were buying this darker Batman and now everybody's on board with this darker Batman. And now, I mean, then that's when it became a thing. So that's the interesting thing about, you know, really, I, I don't always think that it works out this way where the, where the movie, the comic book movie actually does more to affect the comic books themselves, the comic books that it's based off of. But the 89 Batman definitely did that. One could argue the iron, Iron Man, 2008 Iron Man did that because suddenly Iron Man became like a top tier character. Uh, but you know, 89 Batman definitely did that. Uh, this was really, you know, this movie stylistically, you know, I know a lot of the effects don't necessarily hold up, um, but stylistically, I think this film is gorgeous. Um, I love the wild sense. Danny Elfman's score makes everything come together, you know, uh, but I love the wild sense the wild, that that uh, Tim Burton gives it. Um, I think that Jack Nicholson's Joker, which granted he's just acting like Jack Nicholson, I think Jack Nicholson's Joker is the Joker. Like, you know, and I love Cesar Romero. Um, I respect what, um, you know, I, I certainly respect what Heath Ledger did, you know, for the character. But at the same time, I'm annoyed by what Heath Ledger did for the character because, you know, the Joker is meant to be like in like a sexy insanity almost. And I mean, Jack Nicholson just made that happen. Man, you know, Kim Basinger Vicky Vicki Vale. I mean, just go down the list. It was it was re- this was a this is a great movie. And I think it's still a great movie and it's still really funny. Um, the style is just slightly unreal that I think it still holds up, you know, Um, and this is a movie did such tremendous money uh, in the box office. And I mean, let's talk about that. Those box office numbers just to understand how big this is and understand the bigger the film is like this is one of those things that makes it legitimate. Okay, we can make movies about comic books, because before that was largely anathema. Okay, before I mean, it was it was anathema in many ways, even before 2008. But certainly before 89, you know, minus one particular film, um, it was kind of considered anathema. And, I mean, here, look, when this came out, this came out June 23rd, 1989. Opening weekend, it did $44 million. 1989. Think about $44 million in 1989. That's huge money, huge numbers. In fact, it, that, that for a long time, that was the top-grossing weekend for any film. And it beat... The the movie that came out a week previous to it, which originally set the record, which was Ghostbusters 2, which did 30 million on its opening weekend. One week later, Batman comes out and beats that record. Okay, so Batman, for a long time, held the record of highest grossing opening weekend. Uh, I mean, again, that's how big this movie was. Um, It would end up doing overall, it end up doing like like two hundred fifty two million, something like that. Two hundred fifty million in just in America. That's not even international box office. Um, And I think internationally it would, you know, all all told it would do like half a billion dollars, uh, which again, nineteen eighty nine. That's crazy, crazy money. You know, now, yeah, we expect it. Now it's like, oh, well, sure, a movie's going to do a $100 million opening weekend. Of course. I mean, that's just run of the mill. That's fine. No, no, no. These, these numbers were crazy uh, back then. In fact, speaking of the $100 million, this was the first movie to ever make $100 million within the first 10 days of its release. Uh, you know, I mean, it was the very first film to do that. This was a big deal. People wanted to see that. And, uh, and the interesting thing, too, is that a lot of people at the time, myself included, you know, even at eight years old, wanted to see this movie because we loved the 66 Batman TV series so much. It's like, Ooh, we get a movie about Batman. Oh, that's going to be big, you know? And so, you, you know, we went to go see it for that. So like even there were so many different, uh, uh, venues at play, uh, so much, so much different media at play, comic books, the TV show, the cartoons, whatever that inspired people to go see this film. I think that's why it did so much big money, you know, at, at, at first, even though it was giving them a Batman that I think most people, minus some of the adults of the time that did appreciate Frank Miller's work, it was giving them a Batman that they'd never really experienced before. You know, like it was a new type of Batman, but it was that solid. And, you know, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson just delivered, you know, some of the best performances of their lives um, that that made it work. And because of it, because of the amount of money it did, I think this is this was the real impetus of why you got experimental films. And I, I really do consider the Rocketeer an experimental film. Why you started getting more experimental films in the comic book uh, genre. Uh, comic book movie genre that would come out because people are wondering, okay, how can we make this bigger and better? You know, how do we make this, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, really happen? So Batman, of course, would go on to inspire the 89 Batman would go on to inspire its own little universe that never really got to take off exactly. Uh, You had Batman Returns, which uh, I have interesting history with that movie, but I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, You have Batman Returns, you had Batman Forever, which I just love. Batman Forever, like really made an amalgamation of the 66 Batman series and the 89 Batman movie. And I, I still think Batman forever is such an underrated film. I think, uh, Val Kilmer delivers. I, I just, I think it's tremendous. Um, and also understand like that's the first time we got, you know, Batman and Robin really was in Batman forever. So, but then you get the movie, Batman and Robin, and then things, I still enjoyed that movie, but I get it. I understand people's you know claims against it. Uh, and what's really a shame is that we were going to get, you know, uh, Chris O'Donnell, we were going to get a Nightwing movie. We were going to get, uh, uh, Alicia Silverstone, Oh, Alicia Silverstone, we were going to get Alicia Silverstone, uh, you know, in a Batgirl movie, like there was going to be this entire universe around the, uh, you know, the 89 Batman universe. Um, the Joker was eventually going to be coming back, you know, and I don't know if Jack Nicholson would have reprised or what? But that was a plan. There were a lot of plans because this was a money-making universe. The, the, you know, this whole Batman universe that was getting built around the 89 Batman movie was a big deal. But Batman and Robin, it just tanked. I mean like everybody wanted to be I mean, that's the thing. you know, Uma Thurman, Arnold, you know, all the big names that are like were in Batman and Robin, they asked to be in the film. They wanted to be a part of like this amazing phenomenon that was going on, which was you know the, the 89 Batman Universe. Um, and in fact, I would love, I, I'm not opposed to this and, and mark my words, this is going to happen in the future, 10, 15, maybe hell, maybe next year, but or you know, maybe in 2019 somewhere sooner or later, someone's going to make just like they made a Batman 66 comic book, uh, that DC did, which is still one of the best. I mean, it, it's such an awesome series. Uh, I think someone's going to do an 89 Batman comic. I think that's going to happen. You're going to get the continuation of what goes on in that universe. You're going to get Batgirl and all that, and you're going to get the rubber nipples, the whole thing. And I, I can't wait for it. And I'm going to love it. So just a, just a, a hunch that that's going to happen. Uh, But this series, you know, this four four part series of films was, you know, really the Marvel universe of its day. People don't get it. People don't understand just how huge this was. It was fucking massive. It was a juggernaut. And the eighty nine Batman made it all happen And those movies. Even when Batman and Robin tripped up, a lot of movies were already getting produced and in play like X-Men and others that would allow for, you know, what we have, why we have so many comic book movies uh, today. So the, the 89 Batman, really important film, also a very cool film, you know, and and did so much for the character of Batman, really. And, you know, also understand, without the 89 Batman, guess what we would have never gotten? Batman the Animated Series, arguably the greatest cartoon of all time. We just, we would have never, we would have never gotten that. And so, you know, thank your stars. <laughs> That's how, like I said, this movie, this is a movie that influenced like from the top down, you know, like it was at the top and it just influenced everything. Every other venue, every other medium underneath it, it it totally influenced it. I mean, just remarkable that that rarely ever happens. So, okay, let's uh, let's continue on with the list Uh, going into number four this one might shock you. Uh, again, this is where the, you know, it's not so important to the numbers because really I think Batman is 89. Batman is a better movie than this, but uh 2002 Spider-Man was by Sam Raimi. And of course, Tobey Maguire, you know, playing the, the, the title character. Um, yeah, this was, you know, I've never been a big Spider-Man fan, but I saw this movie and when it came out, like I was only a couple of years removed really from uh, from high school. And when it came out, it's like, oh, this is every high school nerd's dream. You know, <laughs> it appealed. It it plucked those heartstrings, you know, and I mean, it just it delivered. You know, it had the romance. It had the comedy. It looked legit. Um, the video games that started to come out around the series were, were incredible, uh, you know, and, and just the, the whole story. And man, I mean, Peter Parker, you know, appeals so much to. Because he's kind of Peter Parker's kind of Bruce Wayne, but he's like the really young, nerdy, dorky Bruce Wayne in in a way, you know, depending upon which which incarnation you're talking about here. Um, This this was this is massive. Now, this film isn't as important like for some people. I think this would rank a little higher. This is another one that really allowed for I mean, it existed in its own universe for various rights, copyright reasons. Uh, or rights ownership license reasons, I should say. Uh, This is a movie that also, you know, allowed studios to understand, holy shit, um, you know, people really want comic book movies. This is a big fucking deal. We should be making these. OK, this was very key to that. And, of course, it would lead to two sequels that have varying quality based upon who you talk to. Uh, But this is this was a this was the first not the first This was one of only a couple comic book movies that I can think of where it it really put on display. Like, I think the entire human condition, it had everything, it had the laughter, it had the love, it had the, um, you know, it had the heroism, uh, the villain. You you bought into the villain, you know, (laughs) like like I mean, like, yeah, it helps when Willem Dafoe is your actor. But the Green Goblin, like, you got it. And then, you know, he has his son. I mean, like, this, you know, James Franco career took – his career took off from this. Uh, I mean, this has everything. This – you know, it, it's very much a perfect film. Uh, j- just just remarkable. And, I mean, actually, controversy around it, too, because in the original trailer uh, for the film, the, the Twin Towers were in it. And they had to, like, digitally remove them from the film, uh, you know, because – 9-11 happened, you know, a year later, or I mean a year previous to its release. Uh, yeah, I mean, just interesting stuff, but everybody everybody involved in this was, was fantastic. Tobey Maguire, just unbelievable. I wish he would make some kind of a cameo, in maybe he did. I still have to watch Homecoming. Um, again, Spider-Man's not one of my favorite characters, so that's an impressive feat on its own. For me to go and see this film and just be, like, so inspired uh, and have my mind just blown, you know, I mean, that was... Who would have seen that coming? You know, I, I wouldn't have seen that coming, uh, especially for a character that, in fact, I, I almost hate the character of Spider-Man. Uh, like, I'm, I'm really, really, really not a fucking fan. Uh, and I think in the comics, he's often annoying. But somehow, Toby Maguire, Sam Raimi, they just pulled it off. This was not annoying. This was inspirational. Uh, and, I mean, has some of the greatest quotes in cinematic history. You know, great power comes great responsibility and all that. I mean, it, it was really cool. Uh, so... Yeah, can't take anything away from Spider-Man. Definitely deserves to be in any top ten list, uh, just for what it did for the genre, and uh, just the fact that it it's such a solid movie on its own. Like, I mean, it's just you know, it really like it, it it touches every human emotion. I think there's even points where it's sexy. You know, when he's when he's hanging down to get the kiss from Mary Jane. I mean, that was oh, that was hot. It was hot. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. If you were a teenager or just out of being a teenager or something at, when this came out, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This movie was, was phenomenal uh, for its time and it, and I've watched it again recently and it's still solid. It's still very good. So, okay. uh, So now we're into our top three. This is where the rankings actually matter. Okay. This is where three, two, one are, you know, there's actually a hierarchy here. Uh, Number three has to go to, you know, this movie, well, we'll, we'll talk about it and I've already like mentioned it and said kind of what it's done for, for the, uh, the comic book industry, uh, not, well, yeah, the industry, but also for a comic book movie, uh, the comic book movie genre, um, X-Men, you know, <laughs> the, the, two, the year 2000, you know, when this came out, uh, this was, this was just incredible. Like I said, really blade before it, which had come out two years before would, would really make, would, would allow people to realize, hey, you can actually make comic book characters look like really legit. Like they can look like they belong in the real world and do their thing. And they can say all this crazy shit and they can exist in this like crazy world that the average person doesn't realize is out there. And, and it works, you know, you can sell it and it works. So, you know, Blade kind of paved that you know, paved the trail for that, but X-Men in the year 2000, man, you know, for so many reasons, for so, for so many reasons. So I was in high school when this movie was going to be coming out and, you know, I would read, uh, the, the magazine was called Cinescape and it was kind of the periodical that you would go to, to find out all about, about all the dorky shit coming out. Like the first time I heard that the matrix was going to be a thing was in, you know, the pages of Cinescape. Um, it was a genre magazine, you know, that, that would cover science fiction, fantasy, all that. And, uh, you know, when when they were announcing and keeping up with the news about X Men coming out, I was like, they can't do this. And I remember saying to my friends, "It's like here, here's another number one problem with this whole thing. Okay, an X Men movie, we want it. Like, you know, we we we're just getting done with the '92 X Men cartoon and everything. You know that which was one of the, also one of the greatest cartoons of all time. Um, how are they going to make, you know, a show that you could bring X Men to? You know, I mean, granted that was animated, but you could bring it to a motion uh, a genre of sorts, you know, and it, and it could work. Um, but how are they going to make this a new movie? How do you make, here's the thing you can draw Wolverine, but how do you make, you know, how do how do you cast Wolverine? Like, how do you get somebody, you know, how do you make that look legit? How do you make that look real? And Hugh Jackman comes in and just go, Jesus fucking Christ, that's Wolverine. <laughs> you know, and now he's been playing Wolverine for, you know, for 15 years. <laughs> And it's such a great paycheck, and oh, wow, that is you know that alone gives this film like like you're I mean because at the time in the '90s Wolverine was like the embodiment of the attitude of the '90s just this really gruff badass you know animalistic extreme character you know I mean he was everything that that I mean anybody. In the night, like you wanted to be Wolverine, didn't matter if it wasn't your favorite character. Like, yeah, I want to be Wolverine, fucking adamantium claws, the whole thing. You know, you wanted. I mean, it was just it was he was so badass, and so everybody was wondering, you know, how the hell do you turn this into? How do you make this real? You're like, how do you make this look good? And that is why X Men is so amazing. I mean, the story is good, the script is great, Brian Singer's directing is phenomenal, Patrick Stewart's. You know, Patrick Stewart, fuck. Of course. I mean, the, the role is pretty much tailor made for him. You know, uh, Patrick Stewart is Professor X. Fantastic. Um, Ian uh, was Ian McKellen. I would have. So, OK, Ian McKellen did great as Magneto. I I think of Magneto as more of a sexy character. Yeah, he has gray hair, but he's like younger and a lot, a lot more bulky. You know, a lot of a bigger guy. I don't mind Ian McKellen's performance at all, but I would have I would have casted that part differently. But everything else, I mean, Famke Jensen, you know, is as uh, Jean Grey. Um, Halle Berry is Storm was perfect. I mean, there's uh, Rogue was kind of a miss. Uh, I, I Anna Paquin is Rogue. I mean, she did fine. But Rogue was another one kind of like, you know, no, another one of those embodiments of the 90s where I think we really need, we didn't need a teenage Rogue. We needed Rogue. You know, we needed <laughs> we needed sexy Rogue. Um, and we never really got Psylocke until, you know, over a decade later, sadly. Um, I mean, so there's a lot, you know, the bulk of the complaints about this movie, you know, often fall to, okay, rogue was, yeah, we wish we had a different rogue and we want all of our other characters in there, you know, but it didn't matter. Like it made, it somehow made as ridiculous an idea as the, you know, the mutant revolution and everything was in you know, when you think about it outside of comic books, as ridiculous as that was, as ridiculous as the uniforms were that the X-Men that we knew the X-Men or we were used to the X-Men wearing and everything. Somehow it made it all work. It all came together in this movie where. Nope. OK, yeah, they wear those outfits. OK, that makes sense. And they even cracked jokes about like yellow spandex and everything. It was funny. Uh, but, you know, the uniforms worked. The, uh, uh, you know, the, the Blackbird, every all of it absolutely worked like it, it was believable. That, yes, this is what's going on. There's mutants. This is the deal. And there is this team of mutants known as the X-Men that uh, they're they're saving the fucking day. And you just bought it. And it just, like, it said, yeah, this is totally legit. Like, this this fits. My suspension of disbelief is well suspended. And it would go on to do great money. And obviously it's created a very interesting, you know, franchise with its ups and downs. That being the X-Men franchise, which, of course, now Disney owns. But that said you know, even, even with, even though the franchise would, would kind of have its ups and downs, this is really, I mean, this is the movie that made Iron Man possible. This is the movie that while it didn't usher in the modern comic book, you know, movie mania that's going on right now. Um, it was definitely, its, it, it was its most direct progenitor. Okay. As in, it's what allowed for people to think, Oh, well, yeah, You know, comic book characters, no matter how ludicrous or ridiculous, um, they they could they could actually work in the real world like this. This could happen, you know, and and that's that's really x Men's strength. Uh, But, you know, it was a movie that had a great villain. Magneto was fantastic, Uh, you know, among everybody else involved with it. Um, I think that the the script was great. Uh, the music was also, you know, which was, was just was top notch, uh, which was interesting because I I remember at the time I was like, oh, Michael came in, finally got another job, you know, because I was used to him scoring Highlander. But that was about it. Uh, so the the music was cool for it. Everything about it was just and, and, it, and it hit that cool factor. It did a great job of hitting that cool factor. Uh, it was really something. I mean, yeah, just a, a great movie and just as important. I think as what will end up being our in in a way, I mean, as far as like impact, if we were judging it on impact, if somebody called it number one, I could understand that because this this really like this finally crossed the boundary where it said, okay, if we can make Wolverine work in live action, we can do anything. And and that's that's what this movie brought on. So, OK, uh, but let's go on to our number two. But like I said, the number one film, you know, I mean, you could you could argue back and forth, but we'll talk about that when we get to the number one film. Let's get to the number two film. And this is a movie I've watched over and over again a few times now. Um, and it was a movie that came out this year. And maybe you could say, well, isn't that a little early to be calling something the number two greatest comic book uh, g- a genre, or movie or film of all time? Uh, You know, if it's only been out for a few months, frankly, Uh, you could argue that. But I think that this one just this is the movie that should that we it'll never be fully explained why it didn't get made until now. What the fuck took so long? It's not like it's a character that needed that much special effects to come off as believable and legit. Why the hell didn't this happen before? Of course, we're talking about Wonder Woman. Um you know, Gal Gadot, fuck yeah, you go, girl. <laughs> that was that was brilliant. Even though would it be would she have been my first choice? Look, I loved her in the Fast and Furious movies, one of my favorite franchises. But um, you know, would would, would I have casted her? No. Would I still change it? Maybe. <laughs> but but she delivered. I mean, she made it happen. She made it hers. She made it believable. She made it work. Uh, I mean, and and you know. What, what else can be said about fucking, you know, Patty Jenkins? I mean, she made this believable. Um, she made it very clear. I've done full reviews on this, which are available on my YouTube channel, uh, you know, if you, if you want to check it out. But so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because I have spent so long reviewing it. But man, like this hit all the right notes, except for the one thing that that will always keep it from being number one is the villain sucked. The villain was very underwhelming. Uh, in this movie. So I'll give it that. The villain was very, very underwhelming. So it falls prey to that. But, you know, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, fantastic. Uh, The music overall, uh, you know, uh, Rupert Gregson Williams, who I didn't really know his work outside of this that well, uh, was I mean, that that's such a unique themes and everything that's going on with it. And he made use, of course, of some of the stuff that that, um, Hans Zimmer had created for the character for uh, Batman v Superman. But You know, I mean, that's impressive, too, to come out of this character initially being introduced in Batman v. Superman, which is not a widely, widely, highly regarded film for this to be as great as it was coming out of that. ooh man, (laughs) that's a feat. That's a feat. But, yeah, this this just this worked. And and so many people I remember and even I was a little skeptical. It's like, oh, what's with all the World War One stuff, you know? But it just worked. It worked for the film. It, it made it all believable. And having that time frame that, you know, the Wonder Woman's been around, um, you know, makes sense now. Uh, this is I mean, Wonder Woman, I, I've reviewed in previous comic book top eights, not comic book movies, but in comic book top eights for comic books in general. I've talked about how Wonder Woman, look, when she shows up on, on the panel on, in a comic book, not in a movie, but in a comic book, when she shows up, the seriousness level the, uh, you know, the excitement level of everything. I mean, it just, it goes up, you know, I mean, exponentially, it just goes way, way up. You know, you're, you're ready to go (laughs) as soon as she shows up. I mean, she just, she makes everything, you know, deadly serious and, and exciting. I mean, it's just, it's there and to have a whole movie with her now phenomenal. And, and, and it, it worked. I mean, for all the, for all the obvious reasons, it really worked. Uh, I'm still a huge fan of, you know, don't mistake me. I'm still a huge fan of Linda Carter. I'm a huge fan of the 77 Wonder Woman series. Huge fan of that. Uh, But obviously these are two very different animals. And what an animal. Yeah. Wonder Woman. And as I've said before, like even with Justice League, because I reviewed that recently and I thought that that wasn't that didn't really live up to things when she was on screen. It was great. Really, if and this this could be like a blessing in disguise for uh, for D.C., if, you know, it being set in, in World War One, if DC decided, hey, we're going to make Wonder Woman her own franchise and we're just going to kind of ignore that she was a part of anything else. Um, if they did that, like I'd I'd be OK with that. In fact, I think they should. I think Wonder Woman should be a completely standalone universe and have it grow out much like what Batman was. The 89 Batman was originally going to do. And I think that would be the best possible thing that could happen for this character because this movie is too good to be hindered by a larger universe. It's too fucking good. You know, Patty Jenkins came right out and said, she said, I based the cues of this film off of the 78 Superman. And it shows because, well, let's get to number one. You know what it is. The 78 Superman. Woo. Now I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I've reviewed this movie probably multiple times, or I've at least talked about it over and over again on sovereign tech prime. So no need to do all of that, but Let's just make it clear. In fact, you know, speaking of that collider list, this was like number six on their list. That's fucking insulting. <laughs> like in fact, some of the guys are like, okay, I'm walking out. Like, you know, if this isn't number one, I'm walking out. And I agree. This is it. This is the granddaddy. This is this is the comic book movie. You know, like I mean, it's it's what started it all. It's what continues to be all. I mean, it's just it it is it. <laughs> you know yeah, it doesn't look as flashy, uh, you know, as a modern comic book film. Sure, it doesn't have an entire universe kind of built around it, even though this did, you know, spawn its own sequels, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of history around that. Of course, Superman Returns, uh, you know, Superman 3, Superman 4, you know, I mean, like, oh, we're going to restart the canon with this. I mean, but that's how, that's how big, understand, that's how big of a movie this was, is that Brian Singer thought that, you know, the guy that, that brought us X-Men, in what was it, 2005 or whatever, thought that he could bring us, he could actually restart this universe, the 78 Superman movie universe, that he could restart it, pretend that three and four never happened and bring, you know, has Brandon Routh come in as Superman or whatever and still has a, a very weak Lois Lane, sadly, because I love Lois Lane, such a great character. Uh, you know, and has uh, uh, Kevin Spacey. To, which obviously wouldn't be using him anymore, but have Kevin Spacey come in as Lex Luthor to replace a Gene Hackman, which Kevin Spacey, eh, whatever, it's not Gene Hackman, but, but I mean, but that's how, that's how seminal this movie is, is that it seemed important enough 30 years later to try and reboot this universe. You know, to give it a shot. And they made at the time Superman Returns was the most expensive film ever made. Two hundred fifty million dollars or something. You know, it had the largest budget uh, ever. That's how much they thought that this was going to take off. And not that Superman Returns is necessarily a bad film, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't the return to form that we expected with, you know, Richard Donner's, you know, 78 Superman and Superman, Two, which I do recommend watching the Richard Donner cut of Superman, Two if you never have Uh, makes it a far more interesting film. Uh, n- not that it was bad in the first place, but anyway, so the 78 Superman, I mean, this is, this is the one, you know, like every, every other comic book movie has to kiss this movie's ass and that's how it is. And that's why it is number one and it'll always be number one. And in fact, it'll be, it'll always beat Wonder Woman for one fact alone is that, you know, I mentioned Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. The, you just, you totally buy, you totally get it. Even though you don't get a whole ton of backstory about Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor it just works like you kind of get it. And, and Gene Hackman's performance is just so solid. You, you accept it as like, oh, yeah, no, no, he's he's the bad guy in town. You know, like the, this is this is how they goes, how it goes. And he has such a wild plan and he lays it out and there's so much humor and you get so much depth to the character of Lex Luthor and, you know, his other cohorts, um, you know, Miss Teschmacher and, uh, <laughs> and Otis. Right. But. Yeah, I mean, so it doesn't fall prey to that problem. It doesn't fall prey to any of the problems that any comic book movie gets into. Uh, the effects for its day were top notch, were phenomenal. They totally suspended your disbelief. The music, it's John Williams. Enough said. <laughs> you got John Williams to score your superhero movie. You're having a good day. And obviously one of the greatest themes of all time, you know, superhero or not. Uh, amazing. Absol- absolutely amazing. This This film hits every note. It's funny. It's romantic. It's there's points where it's over the top. There's points where you feel. I mean, there's points where you get angry. There's points where you get, you know, go to the depths of sadness, you know, with what happens when when Lois dies. I mean, and oh, man, it doesn't matter how ridiculous anything in the film is. This movie makes it work. This movie puts it together as a complete whole. And, you know, it's. I I say this often because most people don't realize it. this movie is widely regarded as the last American classic and it deserves it. It deserves it because it was the turning point when even more so than Star Wars. It was the turning point when suddenly you thought you could see anything on screen, you know, and you're just like, wow. Yeah. And I'll and I'll you know, I'll buy it. I'll be like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, and for a character, you know, Superman arguably is kind of one-dimensional. You know, for a lot of people, I think they see him as just the goody-two-shoes. Uh, and that's the other impressive feat that this movie pulled off is that, you know, that whole scene, which is my favorite scene, when, you know, when Lois dies and he, you know, fl- you know, flies up and and spins the Earth the other way around to turn back time and everything, and you know, there's it's a logistical nightmare, but. You got to see a really angry Superman and it was awesome, you know, and not just an angry Superman, but a sad Superman, a very sad. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. I talk about that scene all the time because it's just so powerful. Like when he, when he just so gently touches her face when she falls over. Oh my God. Oh, I, I have goosebumps just thinking about it. And, uh, of course I did. I recently did a very recently on the show. I did a review of the three hour version of the film, uh, which came out on Blu-ray and, uh, it doesn't need it. Doesn't need the three-hour cut. But there's nothing wrong. Nothing too much wrong with the three-hour cut either. Other than it might get to the point where it's a little too schlocky, a little too, a little too many jokes. But yeah, this is the movie. You knew that's what I was going to pick. I mean, you just there is no way. In fact, it's insulting whenever this isn't number one. Um, I don't care if the effects don't live up to what today has. The story absolutely does. The humor is still goddamn hilarious. Um, you know, I. <sighs> I would have I would have cast somebody else as Lois Lane, but not going to take anything away from Margot. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's awesome. And Christopher Reeves, that's Superman. That's he, he's the measuring stick. Every, it doesn't matter how good they look. Henry Cavill, Dean Cain, take your pick. Every one of them is going to get compared to Christopher Reeves and every, to Christopher Reeve, and every one of them is going to fail. Every one of them is going to fail because they're just they're the best. He's the best. He he was. And I'm glad that he got to, you know, play a cameo role uh, on Smallville. You know, I mean, that was that was really nice to have that because. Damn it, he's Superman. Man, yeah. So, uh, yeah, 78 Superman, it's number one because it's the first, you know, like (laughs) you're either the first or the best. Sometimes you're both. And I think the 78 Superman is both. It was the first real comic book movie. Um, and it was, you know, and it was, it's still the best. I think it's still the best. I think it still holds up. In fact, hell, I want to watch it with Stephanie tonight. <laughs> we got to crank out the three hour version. I think she and I, uh, it's just, it's, it's such a cool film. Um, and especially for it to, and I, I think it still holds up. And I, and I hear it from a lot of people who say, oh yeah, they show it to their kids and the kids love it. The kids just think, well, that's so wild, you know, and it's because it, it, it puts on display in a very palatable fashion you know again the entire experience of the human condition i think you know you've got it all you've got the anger the sadness the love the heroism the villainy the uh, i mean you you've got it all you know it's it's a movie that has it all and and just damn funny so anyway um that's it for our for our top 8 of live action i, I guess i should say more particularly our live action comic book movies um there's others that could have made this list uh, some of them being questionable, whether or not you wanted to consider them comic book movies, uh, Conan the barbarian could have made this list because really that was based off of not of Robert Howard's books, but more based off of the Marvel comics of Conan that were very popular in the seventies. Uh, you know, that, that could have easily been in the top eight. If you wanted to count that as a comic book movie, um, Valerian, which came out this year, uh, Somewhere down the line, I think that could end up in a, in, in like a top 10 list, but that's going to take time for people to realize just how great that movie is. Um, but I wouldn't have minded it being in my top eight. Then, of course, uh, well, the Ninja Turtle movies, I mean, Ninja Turtles were originally a comic, but it's another situation like Conan where really like the inspiration for the film wasn't really the comic books. It was more, you know, the movies were more around the around the cartoon and the cartoon is what really set the tone. Uh, Tank Girl, Tank Girl. I I love that movie. It's such an offbeat, weird ass movie. You know, and I mean, yeah, I would have loved to have included it. Tank Girl is one of my favorite comic books. Um, but honorable mention for Tank Girl because really, there's no reason. If I had a top ten, to be in there, uh, but not in a top eight, I guess. So because it didn't really I mean, yeah, it brought Tank Girl to life and it was great in how it did so in many ways. But like it didn't do any like I don't know that it inspired anything beyond that other than I think it did get a lot of people to start reading the comic book. So I guess that's, you know, it's got that going for it. Um, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. So G.I. Joe, how did that start? Right. Did it start as a comic or did it start as a toy line or did anybody really not care? Did anybody even care until the cartoon series came out? That's the hard part with G.I. Joe. And I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan. Uh, and, it, and it's really tough to say because they're really symbiotic. Like all three of those things kind of came into, into fruition at once. And that was the point. And that's why it was so successful in its day. Um, I thought that the movie uh, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra was tremendous. I thought it was a great film. Total, like that was absolutely live action G.I. Joe. That is absolutely what I, if I was a kid, what I imagine live action G.I. Joe looking like, Bingo, you hit it. You got it. Nice job. Uh, but yeah, so that that could have made the list, but that's questionable whether or not you want to call that a, a comic book movie. I will give if there was a, a movie zero and this is just on a personal level. The Mask, which also very loosely based off of a Dark Horse comic, um, the mask is a movie in the 90s that I watched over and over And over and over again, like I would literally I mean, I I don't know how many many copies of the tape. There were no DVDs, folks. How many copies of the tape that I warped uh, because I just kept watching it over and over again as a kid growing up. Kind of plays off of what Spider-Man, the 2002 Spider-Man was hitting at where, you know, it's the zero to hero. Right. That was even the marketing line for the movie. Um, That movie, you know, uh, fantastic soundtrack for one. Um, Jim Carrey was top of his game and could sell anything at that point. Uh, it was, it was such a fun and I think very sexy. I mean, Cameron Diaz phenomenal. It was such a fun and sexy film and, and kind of weirdly dark at points. And it all came together. A, a movie like that shouldn't have worked, but it worked and it was just hugely inspirational uh, to me. Um, I, you know, as soon as I had the means, I went out and I bought, you know, a whole yellow zoot suit, the whole thing, you know, <laughs> I mean, I was, <laughs> like I, I mean i was i've to this day i'm really obsessed with that movie i still listen to the soundtrack you know and i don't mean the score i mean the score is fine fairly simplistic but the score is fine but like the full-on soundtrack you know cuban pete and stuff from uh you know from domino and tony 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 that's on there um i think even is k7 on there i'm pretty sure k7's on there Uh, I mean, there's, there's just, that's a fun, jazzy, swingy soundtrack. You know, it's really cool. So if there was a movie zero in my top eight, it would have to go to the mask, but that's totally on personal preference. I get it. Why other people might not find that movie so cool. Uh, but I thought that movie was like, I I remember seeing that and I, my, my jaw was just on the floor, much like, you know, the mask jaw would drop to the table. (laughs) I was so in awe of how great that movie was. And, uh, I watched it over and over and over again, you know, because and I I think that movie hits because you know again this is that zero to hero thing because you know Stanley Ipkiss the character in the film really got to he got to get payback on all the people that kicked him around you know and me growing up especially at, at that time um, I was a you know I was a little nerdy kid getting picked on all the time you know all the time I wasn't the big guy yet you know <laughs> I wasn't the golden stallion yet. And, um, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't even the King of the Nerds yet. And, uh, and so that, like, I think that movie, like that was, that was a fantasy come true. It's like, yeah, good. All I got to do is put on that mask and then finally these people can get what's coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> Without really killing anybody. That was kind of nice too, is that he didn't exactly kill anybody in the movie. Uh, that, that was, yeah. <laughs> get a proctologist standing by. <laughs> you heard me. The best one you can find. <laughs> I love that. I, I can quote that movie almost word for word. Uh, that, is, that is it's so much fun. Uh, so, yeah, honorable mention, of course, to Tank Girl and the mask uh, products of their time, certainly. And I think they also show where studios were willing to get experimental with because uh, I think the mask is totally an experimental film and a special effects uh, uh, milestone, actually, with a lot of like the facial special effects and whether people would buy it. Uh, and they did. You know, that were done in that. Um, that. I think that's a milestone film as far as special effects go. Uh, you know, man. So Mystery Men, I don't think that was ever actually a comic. I would love to mention that. Uh, <laughs> you, like Cool World, that was never really a comic book, but I love that movie and talk about a great soundtrack. Uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of these films that, that were either quasi comic book or were actual comic book films that were very experimental throughout the 90s uh, that shouldn't be forgotten that are, that are out there. Um, that I think are, are really, really great. They're not in the top eight. I mean, they can't be said to have like helped create the entire you know comic book movie genre. Uh, but, you know, they're out there. I'm glad that they're out there and I still watch them here and there. So anyway, OK, really, that is it. That is your sovereign top eight live action comic book movies. Going to have more top eights coming out for you quite a bit throughout this month. And then, of course, I mean, we got a bunch of other stuff you know, there's, there's so much content. You're not even going to know what to do with yourself. I'm always amazed. Like, I mean, I get it that some people have to cancel because they have financial troubles or something, but like, really, like I, I lose people that are paying out a buck. What I'm putting out there isn't worth a dollar to you. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind. I, it, it It's really fine. So whatever. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Uh, I will. Uh, yeah. More content coming out this week. And I got some really special stuff, some good times with good friends coming up, too. So uh, I will see you on the other side. Woo.